Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here, and after a little bit of a summer vacation, the Fog.net podcast is back. Just to give you guys a little bit of an idea of what we're going to be doing here today, a little bit of a KU football season preview. The Jayhawks take on Indiana State this Saturday, and it's a good time to kind of take an overarching view of the program, of where the team is at heading into the season opener. I personally super excited for this Saturday against Indiana State. Um, but kind of just starting off, giving you guys an idea of what we'll do today. So we'll start off, I'm going to talk a little bit about the quarterback competition, things that I've heard and talking to the quarterbacks, the offensive coordinator, Les Caning, what you kind of can expect maybe from the quarterback position come Saturday, who could even be the one that ends up starting. Um, then we'll work through kind of the offense, what that could possibly look like. There's not a lot of definitive things out there. Um, KU's done a good job of not necessarily tipping its hand what they may do offensively. Uh, and then we'll talk about the defense and what DJ Elliott's been doing over there and what you can maybe expect from the change in scheme to, from a 4-3. Well, not really even a 4-3. KU last year used a hybrid 3-3-5 with five defensive backs. But what you can expect from a base uh, switch from a 4-3 to a 3-4 and maybe some of the position groups that have been talked about um, highly through fall camp and maybe some of the position battles also that have gone on through fall camp and kind of where the defense stands going into the first game of the season. So without further ado, let's kind of get started here on the quarterback competition. Uh, Thomas McVitie and Carter Stanley are the two names of the quarterbacks that are going to be dueling it out. Les Miles has kind of almost gone reverse if you look back to last spring and kind of traced out the storyline from Coach Miles's perspective from the spring when he says that if basically the first game was back in April, that Thomas McVitie would have been the starter. Then you look at what he says at uh, Big 12 media days where he doubles down and says, you know, if, if the season started today, Thomas McVitie would be the starter. And then you get into fall camp and it's kind of a, eh, well, we'll see what we see from the two of them and it's going to be a competition. And then it kind of turns into a, oh, well, you know, it sounds like that it could things could be pretty close from what we are being told from Coach Miles and Coach Caning, the offensive coordinator. But I think when you look at it from the big picture perspective, you can kind of see why Coach Miles and Coach Caning would have changed their message from last April. At that point, uh, you're thinking more in the big picture of what's going on in the moment. But as you kind of get closer to the first game of the season, you're not trying to tip your hand. And I believe that is what's going on with the quarterback competition right now. I think those inside the program probably have a pretty good inkling of who is who that guy is going to be that takes the first snap on Saturday. That doesn't mean they have to tell everybody. And I think that this is something that maybe has gotten lost in transition or that I've seen people talk about is, well, why is this going on so long? This, the longer it goes, the better it is for Stanley. Or, you know, this means that McVitie isn't as good as we anticipated. Well, those things could be true. But in the grand scheme of things, KU is trying to keep its cards close to its vest. They're trying to use as much secrecy as they can to their advantage. I mean, Les Caning at Media Day, I People try to ask him questions about scheme, what they're going to try and accomplish on offense, what maybe fans can expect. Absolutely nothing. 
Coach Canning was very adamant that no, you know, we're not going to talk about any sort of scheme things at media day. It's all going to be about the players, which, you know, and he's, and I respect that, that he it was very upfront about it that, hey, we're not going to give you guys anything to write about that could in turn tip off Indiana State. Because here's the thing too, this strategy really only works for Indiana State because as soon as you play that game, Coastal Carolina will have that game film and Boston College will have that game film. So this being secretive really works for the first game against the Indiana State. If you were to ask me personally what my personal opinion is, and of course, I'm not at practice. The media is not allowed into practices. We were allowed to see two practices that, if my memory serves, were on back-to-back days in about the second week of fall camp. And on those days, looking at the quarterbacks, Thomas McVitie was one that was taking the first team reps. And I believe that he is probably going to be the one that ends up starting. If you look at the way that scholarships are used in college football, it's a lot like salary cap space. If you think about it, it's just a real even equation of salary cap space. KU used a chunk of that, you know, for that salary cap space, if you will, on Thomas McVitie, a junior college transfer um, from Mesa Community College by way of Pitt. He's someone that uh, had a lot of talent coming out of high school. Um, wasn't necessarily like highly recruited, but he was a four-star recruit. He committed to Pitt really early uh, at the end of his junior year, I want to say. If off the top of my head, I should know this. I wrote a feature on him, of course, now my memory is blanking me. But basically went to Pitt. Things didn't work out. He had three offensive coordinators in two years. He goes to Mays Community College, tears it up there, and ends up coming to Kansas. So going back to the original point about the scholarship and the way that that kind of carries weight, you spent a scholarship in the first recruiting class of Les Miles on a junior college quarterback. He should probably play right away, or else that scholarship could have gone to any number of positions that could use reinforcement. You look at the interior defensive line that had a ton of reinforcements over the summer, but honestly could still use some more depth. The linebacking core, especially at inside linebacker, that could use a lot more depth. We'll talk about that position group specifically in a little bit. But that kind of gives you reason to believe why, you know, it would be Thomas McVitie that at least starts the first game. Now, you know, if you look at Les Miles' track record of quarterbacks at LSU, it's not necessarily pretty. It's not something where he consistently had one quarterback start all 12 games and, you know, make it through the season unscathed. There were seasons where he went through phases with each quarterback, and that happens at other programs. It wasn't just Kansas these past couple years where that happens. Now, maybe things looked a lot prettier at LSU around the quarterbacks, but there were still some not necessarily consistency at the quarterback position. So I think that you probably will end up seeing Thomas McVitie be the guy that takes the snaps in week one, just because of all the capital that has been spent in getting him to come to Kansas. In the long run, I do personally believe that Thomas McVitie is the right quarterback for this system. Um, offensively, the way that Kansas did things during the spring, it was a lot of RPO-based things, run-pass option. This is what the Philadelphia Eagles did a couple years ago when they went to the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. They used RPOs, which basically, you know, you are either going to hand the ball off or throw a usual short route, and it's on the quarterback to make a decision. And that was something that Les Canning said at National Signing Day, going back a little bit further to last February. He said that he liked the way that Thomas McVitie sees the game and reads the game. 
Um, and of course, that was just based off of the, the high school film and the college film at Mesa that he had seen, but he had said that he likes the way that you read the game. So I think when you look at kind of take everything into perspective, the arm aspect of it um, and practices that we went to early in uh, fall camp and then looking back to the spring, Thomas McVitie was by far the most accurate quarterback. So those are just the thoughts on the quarterback starting off. I know that maybe went a little bit longer, but kind of now moving through the rest of the offense, looking, let's specifically go, let's go offensive line first. Les Miles has spoken really highly of the offensive line and talking with the rest of the offensive linemen, it does feel like a more cohesive unit than last year's unit, especially week one. Last year's offensive line, if you look at the growth that they made throughout the season, week one was an unmitigated disaster. Just absolute disaster. Alex Fontana has three snaps that he sends on the ground or over Peyton Bender's head. You have on the crucial third down in overtime, the offensive line does not pick up on a stunt or a twist, basically where two of the linemen switch positions once the ball is snapped and they they twist. Um, the offensive line did not pick up on that. But then later in the season, the offensive line was really good. That led Puka Williams to a 200-yard-plus rushing game against Oklahoma. You know There were some really nice performances for that offensive line. And if you look at the way that they built under – Offensive line coach Luke Meadows, it looks like they could be in for a big year. Les Miles said they could be one of the the best offensive lines early in the season and or in the country early in the season. I don't know about the country. In the conference, yeah, they probably have a good chance of being that, but I don't know about the country. But it also does sound like that there's going to be a lot more rotation this year. Back on Tuesday, we talked to Andrew Tovey and Lopetti, um, two offensive linemen, and both of them talked about the way that there have been rotations and for Andrew Tovey and Oppie Main, who are two guys that are competing for the center spot, Tovey didn't seem like it was do or die where if whoever gets the starter starting position, you know, is going to play every snap. It sounds like it's going to be more of a 60-40 type of thing where the starter is going to play the majority of the snaps, but the second string or the twos, if you will, are going to come in afterwards and help those ones so in the fourth quarter they're not as tired and they can help continue block for puka williams and with that running back room then um you're not gonna have puka williams for the first game but you still have khalil herbert and dom williams and honestly velton gardner uh velton gardner a freshman from texas emmett jones did a great job landing help helping KU land a commitment from him um he's a guy that from the sound of it has been impressive during fall camp it may be tough for him to carve out a, a, a substantial role with the team just because of how talented that running backs room is right now. But it wouldn't surprise me if you were to see him take a couple snaps at running back, then maybe move out to the slot for uh, a snap or two. He's a guy that could move around the offense. And Les Caning said you could see him move around the offense in different formations. So he's someone to watch for, maybe not necessarily – in the first game, but throughout the season, just keep an eye on Velton Gardner. He could be someone that could come up with the, the occasional big play just because of his, his speed. So it does sound like there could be more carries to be had. If you look last season, the carry distribution, there were certain games where Khalil Herbert just didn't get any carries, not zero, but there were some games where it was less than like eight or nine and Khalil Herbert should be getting 10 plus carries a game because he is that good. You look at some of the games in the past that he's had. You know, he had the the near 300 yard rushing game against West Virginia two years ago, and even last year he had a really nice yards per carry. So it does sound like maybe there will be more carries to go around for the running back room. 
And that then leads me into the receivers. And I'll use Puka Williams as a segue here. It would also not surprise me if Puka Williams ended up being a, a second, third leading receiver on the team. I, I would not be surprised if KU does find a way to get Puka Williams in space by throwing him the ball. Either that be you know screens, out routes, just little things that maybe can allow him to get ahead of the line of scrimmage and ahead of the defensive lineman and catch the ball and be able to make plays happen. And then, therefore, KU could use Khalil Herbert, Dom Williams in those more of the first down or second down, depending on what happens on first down. If Puka takes a carry, you know, then maybe Khalil Herbert comes in for a carry. And then on third down, Puka comes back in. Those could be the ways that KU is able to get Puka in more space and be, for him to have a bigger season than he had last year. And that would also then allow for Khalil Herbert, Dom Williams to get some more carries that maybe weren't there last year under David Beatty and Doug Meacham. And the thing with the wide receivers that's interesting about their position group is there's not a lot of known entities within the room. If you just go down the list, like if you were to try and pick out a number one wide receiver, the guy that's going to be making the plays, the Steven Sims, if you will, for past years, you'd probably go with Dalen Charlotte or Andrew Parchment. But there are also guys like Kwame Lasseter that could end up having a big year if they're able to make the most of the opportunities that they do get within the offense. Stephon Robinson is coming off of a really solid year as well. There are just certain guys that could end up coming up with some big plays and big games just because the fact that KU does not have that number one receiver that is, you know, the defense keys in on. Now maybe Dalen Charlotte emerges as that guy throughout the season, or maybe Andrew Parchman is that guy throughout the season. So that's where we're kind of at with the offense. Moving on to the defense and what maybe you can expect there. I'm excited to see what the 3-4 scheme looks like because looking at what KU had last year what, with the five defensive backs, they were able to cover and they used a lot of zone coverages. I wrote a story on it last season. It's called Vision and Break. Basically, they would squat back in their in their stances and as the wide receivers come on, they stay squatted and they don't open their hips up either direction and they keep their hips in line with the so that they can see the quarterback and the receiver at the same time. It allows them to jump routes, and that's why Keeb had so many turnovers last year. Well, this year, it looks like they're going to play more man-to-man coverage. That is going to do things that maybe helps the pass rush, um, and maybe the pass rush can get home a little bit more often than it did last year just because those receivers aren't able to get as open as they are in zone coverage. But also, there could be times where guys just get beat one-on-one. And that's what makes the cornerback position super interesting. So Hassan Defense will be the starting cornerback on one side. And on the other side, it's going to be Kyle Mayberry over Corian Harris. Now, Corian Harris is a four-star sophomore now. He started a handful of games last year. He did not start the Nickel State game last year, but had a handful of starts off the top of my head. I think it was like eight or nine. Uh, and Kyle Mayberry is someone that struggled with injury last season. He had a knee injury that kept him out until the Oklahoma game where he came in and had a couple tackles, a couple pass breakups, and looked pretty good for a guy that wasn't necessarily at 100%. So I think overall, Mayberry, and from what we've heard, Mayberry's had a really good camp. And that doesn't mean that Corian Paris is not going to play. He's still going to get a ton of snaps. He got a ton of snaps in the first game against Nickel State last year. It's just a question of who's starting and who's the guy that's going to get the majority of the snaps. And right now it looks like that's Cal Mayberry going into week one. 
But if KU is going to play more man-to-man coverage, those cornerbacks are going to be paramount and the safeties are going to be paramount. And right now, it looks like Mike Lee, of course, is going to be starting at safety. But at the opposite safety side, it looks like it's going to be Jeremiah McCullough. And that depends also on what KU does within the 3-4 scheme, which I'll talk more about the front seven in a second. But if you have Mike Lee and Bryce Tornadin, probably one of the best safety duos in the Big 12. Like, no two ways about it. That is a solid duo. But then that puts a lot of pressure on the front seven to get home. And this is where we'll move into talking about Bryce Tornadin and his role at the Hawk. So the Hawk position within DJ Elliott's defensive scheme, basically within his scheme, you have the three you know down linemen, the, so two defensive ends, a nose tackle. Then you go back into the four linebackers. You have your two middle linebackers, which right now it looks like it's going to be Kyron Johnson, who made the switch from outside linebacker to inside linebacker, and Drew Pra. But also Gavin Potter sounds like he's going to get some run at inside linebacker. He's a three-star freshman from Oklahoma. He was a really big get for Kansas on National Signing Day uh, back in February. There's a lot of question marks, and a lot could be answered in week one, and there could be a lot of even more questions after week one of, you know, if KU can't stop the run or if KU struggles to uh, cover wide receivers. You know, there isn't a lot known yet where it's like, yeah, that's going to be KU's defensive weakness. And that's what's going to make this first game against Indiana State and against Coastal Carolina and Boston College real interesting because they're, you know, maybe KU comes out and they're really good at stopping the run because they've got seven guys in the box at all times. Maybe they come in and they're really good in the past because their secondary is just guys who have been there and done that. All right. So now it's time. We're going to talk a little about the schedule. So starting off with KU's opening game against Indiana State. I do think that is going to be a win for Kansas. I think that it may be a little bit of a closer game. If I remember correctly what I saw, I believe Vegas has it as like a four-point line, three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half points, I want to say. So I do believe it's going to be a close game. Indiana State is ranked number 16 in the preseason FCS coaches poll, so they are getting respect from other FCS coaches that will have to play them later on the season or that will most likely have to play them later on in the season. I think – I don't think this is going to be a Nichols game. I think the Nichols game last year, so many things went wrong for Kansas to lose that game. You know, you had all the snaps go over the head, the botched play on third down and overtime. A lot of things went wrong. I don't think those things will go wrong for Kansas this time. I give them a win against Indiana State. Against Coastal Carolina, that's another team that I think is under the radar, sneaky, good. There are... There's talent on that team, a lot like how Nichols had a lot of bounce back guys from other programs from JUCO. I also have this as a Kansas win. I am also interested to see what the fan support is like for the first night game under Les Miles. That's a 6 p.m. kick, and that will be, I think, a real litmus test of where the program is at in terms of fan support and are fans willing to come out. You know, Indiana State's going to be tough because it is 11 a.m. kick, but that 6 p.m. kick for Coastal Carolina, I think, is going to tell us a lot about where the rest of the fans are at going into the season. Then you go to Boston College. I have this as a loss. I know there's a lot of turnover going on with Boston College. They lost a ton. Uh, I believe it's on the offensive line. I wrote that in a story um, a month or two back about Boston College. But they've also lost a couple of coordinators, so there's a lot of turnover. But I do think that they have a lot of returning talent enough returning talent to give Kansas fits. They were ranked for a couple weeks last season. And I think that that will be, I think that could be a close game though, but don't by any means expect that to be a, a huge, you know, 30 point blowout. 
it could be a two touchdown game, but I don't think it's going to be one of those where by the second quarter, it's like, all right, well, this game is very much over. I think that's one that could sneaky come down to the third or fourth quarter, not necessarily with the Kansas win, but Kansas keeping the games close. So before we kind of get in, now I'm going to go out of order because I think if you're going to look at the schedule for Kansas, I think looking at it from a big picture view is the way to go. So the games that Kansas has at home this year in the Big 12 are West Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and Baylor. So that means that you know Kansas has TCU, Texas, Oklahoma State, Iowa State on the road. Okay, working through it, Kansas is not going to win a road game in the Big 12. They're not going to beat TCU at TCU, not beating Texas in Austin, and they're not going to beat Oklahoma State um, in Stillwater, and they're not going to beat Iowa State in Ames. It's just those are good teams, and they're not going to be able to go in there and win. Not in year one, at least. Maybe down the road under less miles, maybe, but not in year one. That leaves you with West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas State, Baylor. You're not going to be, I don't think you're beating Baylor last game of the season. Baylor, I think, is a sneaky good team this year. They could have a really good season. So then it leaves you with Texas Tech, Kansas State, and West Virginia as the three winnable games for Kansas this season. I think if you're going to power rank, um, I'd say probably the most winnable out of those three would be West Virginia, then Kansas State, and then Texas Tech. I know Texas Tech, um, moving on from Cliff Kingsbury, doesn't necessarily have a lot of continuity, but they have a really good quarterback. And they still do have a lot of holdovers from the Cliff Kingsbury era. I don't think that's a win for Kansas. I think it's a close loss at home. And now that leaves us with West Virginia and Kansas State. West Virginia, I think, is the game that Kansas has a really good shot of winning. I have it down right now as a loss just because of the fact that I think that there is still a talent gap there. I think that's probably going to be uh, a close one. That's going to be... I would be very surprised if that is a two score or more game to either side. I think that's going to be uh, a real close game for Kansas at home. I think they will beat Kansas state at home in the sunflower showdown. I think it'll break a near decade long losing streak for Kansas at home to Kansas state. Uh, I think that'll be probably the less miles has talked about marquee wins the other day about his first season at Oklahoma state, how there was a marquee win that they had that really was the, we're, we're really making progress here, and it showed that. I think Kansas State comes at a good point in the season. That's going to be the marquee game of saying, hey, we are on the way up. Because it does come about you know two-thirds of the way through the season. You've got enough time for the offensive line to continue to develop, the defense kind of to figure some things out, and the offense, too, to kind of figure out who the quarterback is going to be, what the offensive scheme that they're going to use is going to be. So I think out of the schedule, I think Kansas goes 3-9 and nine this season with a win against Kansas State in the Big 12. I think it would not be surprising, though, if they were to get a win against West Virginia. I do not see a world in which Kansas gets five wins. A three-win season, I think if a three-win season, if you're keeping games close, I think that'd be a positive step in the right direction, too. I think overall, if you look at recruiting, you look at the staff that has been in place and the way that it looks like they are developing the players, it looks like Kansas is taking a steps in the right direction. Overall, this season... Three and nine, I think that's probably what you're going to get from Kansas. I think that's something that should be taken positively. So that's going to do it for the Fog Dunnet podcast today. We'll be back again this Saturday for a post-game podcast, breaking down all things that go on in KU's game against Indiana State. As always, please like, review, and subscribe on iTunes. With all that said, we'll talk to you guys on Saturday.